Hey everyone, welcome to episode 113, Squeeze Me. Meet our mom, Kelly Hutchison. She is a life coach. She is a child counselor. She is a teacher. She's a parent coach. And she's a mom to us. She will teach you to stop yelling at your kids. She will teach you to get your kids to listen. She will teach you how to never sleep with mommy guilt again. She will teach you how to be an imperfect mom. So you can help your kids be imperfect too. And have harmony in the home. So how fun is that title? I bet you're really curious. I bet some of you could probably guess. And I'm wondering, just send me an email and let me know which is better, when the title gives it away what it's about or when it's a little like, hmm, I wonder what clone parenting is all about. Hmm, I wonder what squeeze me is all about. Or I could call them things very simple, which aren't as catchy, like how to have your child to stop interrupting. And this was a really big problem for me when I was a teacher because I had 20, sometimes 22 first graders at once, all needing my attention and all needing my help. And just massages and massages and massages and massages. And I was like, what is going on? So there's a couple different things that really worked and worked with my own kids. And I love sharing things with you that worked across different schools because then you know that it's kind of like tried and true. It's a recipe that I've tried at a lot of different restaurants and all of the customers love the recipe. So I like to think about things that I did or that other teachers did that I brought into parenting that also work there because when you have more tools in your tool belt, guess who you teach those to? Your kiddos. And then you're creating this like dance between the two of you and the dance becomes so much easier because you know that when you guys step on each other's toes, it's not something against you and it's not something against them. It's that you're stepping on each other's toes while you're learning this dance and that is completely normal. I step on my kids' toes all the time and they step on my toes all the time. So when we can come from this place of curiosity and like, hmm, I wonder how we could solve this problem, then we can be more kind of creative with our ideas. So interrupting is a big problem, especially when the kids are younger because they don't have a lot of impulse control and they're not supposed to. It's like saying to me, Kelly, why isn't my child 5'5"? Well, because your child's not grown up yet. Your child's not finished growing. This is all a learning process. Now, it doesn't make it okay what they're doing. It just kind of gives you some understanding like, oh, this is just a skill that they need to learn. And how do we learn any new skill? We teach it, we practice it, and then we apply it. Teach, practice, apply. Teach, practice, apply. Rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat. Right now, Lily's trying to learn how to do a handstand, like a long standing up handstand. So every day she practices handstands for a couple minutes in the morning, a couple minutes. She's always standing on her hands, it seems like. And the way that she's learning, I'm like, do you think you want to, like, I don't know how to teach her. I never did gymnastics. And when I did gymnastics, I cried at gymnastics the whole time because I thought my parents were going to come pick me up. So it's not like I was a big gymnast in the past. I don't know how to teach a handstand. I'm like, do you think we should probably watch some YouTubes about this? She's like, nah. I'm like, what if we practice against the wall? She's like, nah. I was trying to give all these suggestions. I'm like, that's all I got. So she's kind of skipping the T part and she's kind of self-teaching. And then she's practicing and practicing and practicing and she's applying and applying and applying and applying. And that's true with anything that you're going to learn is that you have to create consciousness around it first, which is kind of like attention around it. You have to teach yourself or have someone else teach you or YouTube. Then you practice, 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 rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat. She falls. Sometimes she's up there three to five seconds. Sometimes she's up there for a half a second. But that's how you're going to learn any new skill as an adult. And that's how you're going to teach any new skill for your kids. And they have to learn a lot of skills. So we can't get frustrated at them in the process. 
Think about if you've started a new job, what is the best training that you can have at a new job? I know when I was a teacher and I was 21 years old with all these fifth graders, I had my degree. I had done two years of internships. I had read all the books. I was obsessed with the topic. I had observed in my sister's classrooms. I had volunteered. I had done all the things. And when I got into that portable with those 25, 28 fifth graders, I thought they were going to eat me alive. I really did because all of my training was K through two. So here I am with these 10 and 11 year olds that have like body odor and they have attitude and they talk back and they roll their eyes and they ate me alive because I'm doing like sticker charts and sing song voice and oh, that hurt my heart. And they would always say, you treat us like we're little kids. I'm like, yeah, you kind of are little kids, but I was so overwhelmed because my training, I had so much training leading up to that point, four or five years of training, plus all the camp counselors jobs that I had, plus my own parents, plus my own experience being in the schools. And I felt like Bambi learning how to walk. My legs didn't even hold me up. I stayed at the school till seven, eight o'clock. I was in a portable and they said, don't stay that late. It's not safe. Once the sun goes down, you have to go home. The custodian would say, Kelly, go home. I say, I can't. I'm overwhelmed. I'm buried here. Buried. There was so many papers to grade. I was so overwhelmed about their behavior. I'm 21 years old. I'm trying to like do this whole adult thing. And then I might have to like pay my taxes for the first time. I'm like, what is this all about? This adulting? This is hard. I feel like Bambi. So whenever you try something new, you're going to feel like Bambi. And that's completely normal. And how did I learn to become a better teacher was all OTJ, on the job training. That is where you get all of your practice. So whenever you're teaching something new to your kids, they are going to have a lot of OTJ too. They can watch the YouTubes. They can do all the things. It's kind of like my dad. He just got a new iPhone. I think I told you about that. And he watched all the videos and we showed him on our phones and we begged him for 10 years to get an iPhone so he could be in sync with our phones. Like if I'm sending videos or if I want to reply to his message, they just talk and interact with each other iPhone to iPhone better. So he finally gets it. He'd watched all the tutorials and it was like he was Bambi learning how to walk. And some things we didn't even know how to do that he was asking us about. So he went to the Apple store. So he learned by trial and error on the job training, having the phone training. So when we're talking about interrupting in the classroom, one thing when we were doing centers, so we would do 20 minutes. I would teach the kids in small group for 20 minutes. And then I would teach four or five kids at a time at the small table. And then I had, you know, 16 kids that had to be working independently and not interrupt me as I'm teaching the four or five kids. So I wore this necklace, like a lay necklace from Hawaii. And that necklace signified when you see the teacher with that on, you need to ask three before me. That means you need to ask yourself, ask a neighbor. And then they could also write a question down and put it in the question box that I would get to when my necklace was off. It was just a symbol of I'm busy right now, but I'm still accessible. So sometimes they would squeeze me a note and put it in the question box. And then in between groups, I might write them back or I might say, hey, Corey, can you go help so-and-so with the computer issue? I think you can help them out with that because I knew who the experts were. And then we had assigned experts in the classroom of who's our computer expert. If you're having a computer issue, who is it? And it would rotate. And if it was Corey, then Corey would train Bianca. And then Bianca would be the tech expert. We had funny names like the IT person or the word person or the overhead projector person because we used to have overhead projectors. For some reason, a lot of issues came with the cassette tapes. They would listen to books on tape in one of the centers. And that center, for some reason, always seemed to have the most problems. So who's our cassette kid? Who's the expert? And it always rotated, always changed. And then they trained each other. And in that process, they would be self-problem solvers. And we called ourselves IPS, Independent Problem Solvers. 
And then when I saw them being an IPS, I'm like, whoa, everybody stop what you're doing. You will not believe what Super Sally just did. She was an IPS. Sally, tell the class what you did. Well, I was having problems with my headphones and they weren't plugged in all the way. So I tried plugging them in and that didn't work. And then I tried another jack and that seemed to work. And everyone would applaud. So we're reinforce, 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 reinforce. And on-the-job training is where they're going to get their trainings too, just like your kids. They're going to have tons and tons and tons of practice in whatever new skill you're trying to teach them. And it can be something very little. So interrupting is a big one. That was a big one for my kids and also my students too. So one thing was the necklace. That was a good one. And then you want to empower the other people within your family that they can help each other out so you're not always the go-to. And it's really cool to feel needed and it's really cool that they come to us but we also want to make them IPSs. We want to make them independent problem solvers because when they are IPSs, then they're not always looking outside of them for the answers. They look inside for the answers first and then they look externally like YouTube, like Alexa, like their neighbor, like their brother, like their sister, like trial and error. It kind of gives them the confidence to look within for the answers versus always looking externally. Like Lily can never open her Gatorade water bottle. She fills up her water bottle with half Gatorade and half water before she goes to volleyball. And she would get it out of the fridge and she would just hand it to David and I. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Be an IPS. Let's see you try it at least first before you come to us. And over time, she's now able to open the Gatorade water bottle. For some reason, that one is so much harder than regular water bottles. My parents were big. I'll just start it for you. So if I brought them a Gatorade water bottle that I tried, I opened, I tried first, and then I would hand it to them then they would just start it for me. And what they were doing is they were kind of being like my training wheels, so to speak. So it's good that they're leaning on us and we want that to happen, but we don't want them to become overly dependent and not be able to think for themselves. So when interrupting happens, which it will, you can have little strategies and little tricks and you can not think of it as my son or my daughter's being so rude and disrespectful. We always go to it's rude and disrespectful to do X, Y, Z. What if they're just not trained well in that area yet for that skill? This is the Googles. It says, why do kids constantly interrupt? Often kids interrupt because they have a hard time waiting their turn. Hello, don't we all? They have something that they really want to share, but they're impulsive and don't stop to think before they cut someone off. Kids who interrupt because they're impulsive typically do other things without thinking first. I'm 46 and I'm impulsive. I'm 46 and I interrupt. Sometimes David's telling a story. I'm like, second gear, dude, speed it up. Let's go. My ADD kicks in. And this is, of course, the Googles. At what age do children stop interrupting? By the age of seven, your child should be able to politely say, excuse me, I have a question and wait to be acknowledged. But at four or five, she'll be doing well to learn that interrupting is generally frowned upon, that sometimes people need to interrupt. And that is their best way to do it. When they get the payoff, then they're like, oh, this works, let's do it. Now, I would say with my kids, Lily was more an interrupter when I was talking to like an adult because she got a little jelly, a little jelly of Kelly. I was kind of giving attention to everybody else or I was talking to another mom at a play date, God forbid. I can't even remember what it's like to go on a play date. At 13 and 10, there's no play dates anymore. It's so wild. And so when they were younger, we'd go on a play date and as soon as we got there, Grady would run off and I just have to keep my eye on them at the park. And then Lily would just hold onto my leg. I always used to joke that she wanted to climb back on my uterus. Like, go play, go play, go play. And the more I said, go play, and the more I talked to the other person, the more clingy she got because she was saying like, I don't want to share you. You're not to be shared, girlfriend. And then Grady, he's a big interrupter when you're telling a story or when someone else is telling a story. I think he's gotten that from me. So I also want you to model interrupting with your spouse. I want you to model what it's like to have to wait your turn. If you're at Joanne's and you're waiting in line, you could say, oh, it's so hard to wait. It's so hard for me to wait sometimes. What about you? Is it hard for you to wait sometimes? Because when you're teaching whatever you want to teach, the best way to teach it is to model and embody it. And if you have to act it out, that's okay. If you have to interrupt your spouse, or he has to interrupt you and then you have to gently correct him or he has to gently correct you, 
and you can model that in a fun, sing-songy, no-big-deal way and plan it ahead of time, they're going to learn a lot that way. But when we're always having the lectures and we're talking to them and when you do this, then when you do that, when you do this, when you do that, we start to be like Charlie Brown's teacher because they're like, wah, 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 wah. Here she goes again on one of her little lectures. They don't really work. They might get in a little bit, but if we're trying to get in 100% of our message, we probably get, well, for me, I know it's really like 10 to 15. So I like to do backdoor lessons. We're teaching them through making it fun, through games, depending on their age, role-playing super fun, and also doing it with your spouse or another adult or having Lily be the interrupter and me correcting her and vice versa so Grady can learn. So you can have fun with it. And another great way to teach this is This worked wonders in the classroom and my sister uses it and she teaches kindergarten. Can you imagine 20 to 25 five-year-olds wanting you all at once? Are you kidding me? So she had them like with, we were at play dates and Lily would get jelly. What she's really wanted is attention and make sure that she's not being replaced because they're so afraid of when they don't have our attention. It's almost like we're taking away their oxygen supply because they're so attached to us and we are their Wi-Fi. So there's a way that we don't have to shun them and push them away and go play, go play, go play. And also letting them know that like, I'm still here, even though I'm talking to another adult, that doesn't mean I'm ditching you and you've lost your Wi-Fi. So one thing that we practiced a lot of, and they never got it perfectly, they don't do it now at 10 and 13. I would think I would laugh my head off if they did. But when they were younger and my first graders and my sister's kindergartners walking up while I'm talking to somebody else, for example, and they come up and they hold your hand and then they squeeze it three times. And that is a way of saying like, I need you. We said it stood for I love you, the three squeezes. So the three squeezes stood for I love you or I need you or I need help. And so this is the cool part. You squeeze their hand back. And the three squeezes can mean whatever you want it to be. It could be, I love you. It could be, I hear you. It could be, I see you. It could be just a minute. And it's almost like you're talking in code and you're talking another language and you're talking through sign language. They're interrupting, but they're not really interrupting, if that makes sense, because no one knows that this is even going on. And then of course, that means you need to wait whatever amount of time that you think that they can wait at whatever age they are. And then they know that they're seen and heard and they're not being replaced and their Wi-Fi is still there. And then as soon as there's a breaking conversation, you have the potty dance. Like, wow, look how patient you're being. I am so impressed with you. How did you wait that long? It's so hard for me to wait that long. In the classroom, of course, raising your hand was a huge one. And so you can preface it with, like before I asked a question to 20 students, I wouldn't say, what is this word, boys and girls? I'd say, raise your hand if you know what this word is, boys and girls. And so you can teach them, like sometimes if we're having a family meeting and someone's going on and on and on, you can raise your hand and it's kind of like a light and fluffy way to say like, I go next, I need to speak my mind, I need to have my voice. And a lot of times family meetings are super fun because you can talk about something in a very light and fluffy, funny way. Like Grady called a family meeting the other day because he said my Lee press on nails, he's finding them around the house. And then one time Lily called a family meeting because Grady was not getting it in the toilet when he was pottying. Let's just put it that way. Today, I called a family meeting because it was just with Grady. I said, I need to call a family meeting without Lily because this doesn't concern her. Of course, it made her so curious. And the family meeting was, I thought Grady was lying about brushing his teeth because his toothbrush, for some reason, was in my bathroom because sometimes he uses my bathroom to shower. That toothbrush was sitting on my counter and has for the last two or three days. And I was like, this is not going to fly, dude, because he's told us, yes, I brush my teeth. So I'm like, either you're lying or like you came in the bathroom and brushed your teeth. But that toothbrush has not moved six inches in the last two days. And so I said, I need to call a family meeting. So it was the three of us. He's like, am I in trouble? I'm like, it's just something we need to discuss, create consciousness around it. Let's go. And I said, so I have a concern. Your toothbrush has not moved off my counter, which I'm not really sure why it's on my counter, has not moved 
for probably two or three days since we got back from our trip. And then David raises his hands and I was like, okay, David. And so it's very light and fluffy, but I'm letting him know like, this is not okay that you've been lying about brushing your teeth. When you said, I, yes, I brushed my teeth. And then David said, oh, I found that in an old suitcase and I just pulled it out. So I don't think it's his real actual toothbrush. I think that's his backup travel toothbrush. I'm like, oh, see, this is why we have these family meetings. Because Grady, I was ready to, you know, put you in a headlock and see what's going on with you and give you a big old noogie. He's like, no, I would never do that. And I was like, well, you'd have to deal with the guilt and karma if you did. And so it's a very nice way of instead of, Grady, get in here. What is this toothbrush? And you've been lying and you're so disrespectful. We can't jump to conclusions. And even if that was happening, then you come from a place of like, all right, this is happening. How are we going to fix it? What do you think we should do? I'm trying to step up my game in oral hygiene and I know it's hard. Yes, I brush my teeth twice a day and I now have built up to flossing once a day. And now I'm trying to add the pick, the water pick. So I'm trying to brush, floss, and water pick morning and night. I don't always hit all three in the morning and at night. I definitely hit all three in the morning or the night, but to do both, mm, well, I definitely brush my teeth. But the second and third part, which I think is like extra credit, I'm building consciousness and trying to create this new habit and it's hard, but I'm not beating myself up because I'm not doing it. So he's kind of like in the early stages of it. So squeezing of the hand really helps because they feel seen, they feel heard. And the reason why they act up when you're on the phone or when you're talking to another adult or you're telling a long-winded story, the reason why they interrupt is because they don't have impulse control yet and they're not supposed to. Their brains are still developing. They're still growing. I'm 46 and I'm hard time with impulse control. I want those Twinkies. I want to lay in bed and watch Netflix. I want to skip flossing. I want to interrupt David when he tells stories about city council meetings. So whenever your child is doing something that you don't like, put it on yourself about how you've had that emotion before, whether it's impulse control, whether they've told a fib or they have sticky fingers at a store or they didn't get a good grade on their report card, or they were sassy with you or with their sister, or they overreacted, always flip it on yourself and say, when is the time that I felt like overreacting? When is the time that I felt like it was hard to have impulse control? When was the time that it was hard for me to make the right decision? Because the reason we want to do this is because we want to normalize that for kids, that there's always going to be good choices and bad choices, but there's not always going to be good kids, bad kids. If a child makes a bad decision, that doesn't make them a bad kid. Just like if they make all good decisions, that doesn't make them a good kid. All kids are inherently good. That was a gift given to them when they were born. That's not something that they can do more of and get more goodness or do bad choices and get more badness in them. The other day, I double parked going to the ATM at Publix. You know, I just kind of parked there and ran in, got my money. Not ran in. It was right there. My car was 10 feet from me, dropped something in the blue mailbox, and I walk out, and there's a police officer. He's like, what are you doing? And I was like, oh my goodness, I am so sorry. You are so right. And I just fell on the sword. I tried to do all fours of the apology, take responsibility, not repeat it, show remorse. How am I going to repair this? I was ready to take the ticket and just run. He's like, there's so many violations here. I don't even know what to go with. You're parked backwards. You're in a fire lane. You're blocking traffic. He's like, I don't even know which one to start with. And I'm like, you're so right. I'm so sorry. You're so right. I'm so, I kept saying, I'm so sorry. It won't happen again. I promise. And what do you want to do? And you're so right. I just kept falling on the sword. And so I wanted to share that to my kids. Like I got reprimanded by a police officer today. I made a bad choice, but I'm not a bad human being. Do you see the difference? And so when we can give that gift to our kids, then they can see the difference. Bad choices does not mean bad kids. Good choices does not mean gooder kids. I know that's not a word, but there's no dimmer switch. There's no brighten or dim that in them that's already given to them when they were born. You have to give that gift to yourself first so that you can project that onto them. Then you're not always looking for things that are gone wrong. 
Is it normal that they did XYZ? Yes, because that's accepting the as is of their XYZ. Whatever that XYZ is, it's the as is of that. And then you can get super creative and you get super curious and not so furious, making it mean something about you or about them or their future and that something's gone wrong. It's like, oh, okay, this happened. Now what are we going to do about it? How can we create more consciousness around it? And then you're working together as a team and it's not you versus them, it's you with them. So practice these strategies, fill up your tool belt because when you have them in your tool belt, you're able to give those tools to your kids too. I love you guys and I'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Hey mamas, thanks for listening. If you had any ahas, clicks, or those lightning bolt moments while listening, you have to check out my free parenting bootcamp where we take all of this to the next level and we try to create even more awakenings for ourselves so that we can connect more with our kids and never yell at them again. You can sign up at www.coachingkelly.com. And if you really want to fill up my love cup, send me an email of what your aha was, what your click was, what was that lightning bolt moment while you were listening. I want nothing more in life than for you to have harmony in your home and to learn how to be an imperfect mom like me, which allows your kids to be imperfect too, each and every day. Thanks for listening.